Well, thanks for listening. So sorry we haven't posted anything in a while, but I want to blame the pandemic, but I was just lazy. But that's about to change. Hey, that clip you just heard was us worshiping at the Young Life staff retreat at Windy Gap. It's just awesome getting to worship with friends. The next two talks are from John Vickery. We're also recorded during that same retreat. John was on Young Life staff for over 40 years and has held almost every role in our mission. He's married to his wife, Carol. They have three amazing sons, JC, Michael, and Clark. The sound in the first recording is a little fuzzy, but don't worry. The second talk, we were able to fix it. I hope you enjoy and you're encouraging your faith as much as I was. Here's John. Good afternoon. Uh, really, really good to be with you. We have looked forward to this since Ashley asked us, which was, I don't know, months ago. Uh, and we, as that chosen on purpose, Carol and I both have looked forward to this. Uh, Ashley introduced Carol, but I want to make sure you know uh, I would not be here without Carol. I wouldn't have made it 40 years on the MY staff without Carol. I wouldn't have made it the last two years uh, having left in life without Carol. I wouldn't be working for search without Carol. I wouldn't be standing here speaking without Carol. Uh, she has been for me that encouragement and support and the one that believes in me when I don't believe in myself. Uh, and so I'm grateful for her. And uh, some of you are here as spouses. Uh, how many spouses here? Non, non-paid spouses. Be great. Um, if your spouse isn't here, you can quote me when you get back. But... Uh, Last couple weeks, I teach Sunday school class back home. I've done it for 20 years. About three years ago, three and a half years ago, we changed from an old people Sunday school class who were our age to a younger people Sunday school class that are all 30-somethings. There's about 20 or 30 couples that come. And the last few weeks, we've been teaching, uh, going through some uh, Christmas accounts, looking at some Christmas accounts. Last Sunday, we looked at Joseph and the, just what you can learn about Joseph. There's really, really only one passage you can learn about Joseph. It's in Matthew. And so we looked at Joseph and uh, just thought, what kind of price did Joseph pay uh, to be the husband of Mary, earthly father of Jesus? Uh, what sacrifice did he make uh, to do that? And what you realize is, you read Matthew 1, and you know he was going to divorce her quietly because she gets pregnant and he knows he's not the dad. So he's going to divorce her, and that, in those days you could actually have had her stone uh, killed for adultery. He wants to do it quietly. There's honor in this man. Uh, and then an angel appears to Joseph, as you know, and he decides to stay with Mary. But how hard was that? Uh, to know that rumors would be spread and people would talk and your job was just to do your best to protect your spouse and your coming child. And uh, if you know anything about Joseph throughout the scriptures, if you write a Christmas play, uh, Joseph's part is easy to cast because he just has to stand there and do nothing. There's not, he doesn't say a word. Some call him the perfect spouse. Uh, he's just quiet. He doesn't say a word. His job is to just make sure Mary gets what she needs. Uh, make sure everything is right for the birthing of Jesus. Clean up the mess, literally. Uh, and as a spouse, sometimes I, I'm afraid that's what Carol and maybe you have felt like. That your job is just to stand there and be quiet. Uh, Mary's a celebrity. Joseph is not. Uh, people are bursting in the song about Mary. Nobody comes up with a song about Joseph. Uh, if they had any heart at times. Uh, Carol will tell you there were times uh, over the years, and she's the most humble, 
uh, don't give me the spotlight person I've ever met. But she said sometimes we were on assignments, the hardest part of the week was the end of the week, when there would be a line of kids waiting to take their picture with you, and my job was to keep the kids over here and be quiet. They should have been lining up for her. So again, as a spouse, I'm wondering how often you feel like, yeah, I'm just supposed to be quiet. I'm just to stay out of the way. I'm supposed to encourage. I'm just supposed to keep them going. They're the celebrity. I'm not. Uh, please know that's not how God sees you. Uh, the great thing about Joseph is he was the first to get to hold our Savior. He had this intimate relationship with Jesus that no one else had. And I hope for you, as you serve and love and sacrifice for your husband or wife on staff, that somehow in there is this deep, intimate uh, relationship with Jesus that few have. That you would keep clinging tightly to him, and you know uh, that when Joseph got to see, you're going to get to see. That Jesus becomes greater. Uh, so much greater than him, so much greater than Mary. And you'll get to watch that. He'll, he'll be birthed in lots of people because of your sacrifice and your support. So thank you for that. So we said yes uh, for lots of reasons. We said yes because of the place. Uh, when you get this holy ground for me, I actually said it in 1975. I said, driving in today, I thought I, I drove in, drove in 46 years ago as a junior in high school. And everything you hoped and prayed would happen for your kids when they come happened for me. I was captivated by it all. The place, the, uh, the fun, the laughter, the clubs, the music, the special music guy, Mike Hahn, some of you know lives in Charlotte. I can still sing Mike Hahn's songs, word for word. The message, I don't remember who the speaker was. That's really been good for me over the years. I don't remember who the program people were. I remember the night I heard about the cross, and we went out like so many hundreds of thousands of kids have. And I went and sat right at the base of the slide. There's a tree there, man. And I fumbled through this prayer, and somehow God heard it and came in, and he captured my heart. And if someone would have told me then what my life would be like 46 years later, that I'd get to do what you do for 40 years, uh, that I'd get to be a part of the ministry, get to stand in the place that someone stood and told me about Jesus, I'd get to do that, that I'd have the kind of marriage I have, the kind of kids I have, the kind of life I have, I would know there's no way exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine. We came here because of the place, not just for me, but also because of Carol. She came here in 1977 as a high school junior, weekend camp. Uh, we came here not just because of when you get, we also have so many memories, we're flooded with memories as we're here, memories of our uh, kids on assignments here. Uh, funny stories and sad stories and just, they felt like they grew up at Young Life Camp. It was a great gift to them. We also came here because not just of this place, when you get, but this place, the region. Uh, for 40 years uh, with Young Life, my last year's overseeing Young Life in the U.S., I couldn't say that then, I can say it now, I had favorites. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorites was the Carolinas, always has been. There's something that goes deep in our own history that connects our hearts to you in a way different than other regions. Again, Carol, a uh, Young Life kid here, came on staff here was in Charlotte as a Young Life kid and Young Life leader with UNC Charlotte. Went on staff in Greensboro with Phil Anderson, some of you know Phil. Uh, spent time, one year on staff before, uh, at, right as we met, and then she came with me to uh, work with me in Texas. 
but we have great history in this region. Caroline Point, we got to be one of the first people privileged to walk on the property of Carolina Point before it even was given to young life. We have to walk there and decide, should we say yes to this? This man was saying, I want to give you this piece of property. We didn't need a camp in North Carolina. We had many gap. We weren't growing a lot of those years. It's like, why don't we need another camp? And if we needed a camp, sure not right here. But we walked the property and thought and prayed and uh, thank God you let us say yes. So maybe one of the best days of my 40 years was that first day of camp at Caroline Point. And being there with Carol and some of our friends who'd given money so we could build that place and lots of staff and see that first kid get off the bus and had a picture in my office for a long time of that girl uh, and just all of us in tears. And then my worst day my young life was at Caroline Point. Uh, some of you know the story, but I got the call that a high school girl named Olivia had died at Caroline Point horrible accident. Uh, we were in a movie theater in Nashville. We immediately went home, packed our bags, drove to Carolina Point to be with you and people like you who were there on the assigned team. And in those horrible times and in those wonderful times, you just realize the great gift of young life is, one, we get to be part of a mission to tell kids about Jesus, but almost equally, not quite, almost, is who we get to do it with. The people we get to do it with. We said yes because of the people. We said yes because of the people we've loved in this region for a long time. Lynn Barkley before she was Lynn Brewer. The regional director before Steve Gardner. I, I remember meeting with Steve and saying, would you please move from Ohio to Charlotte and be the regional director of the Carolinas. Uh, Steve and I are dear friends, have been for a long, long time. I, I have this wonderful gift of doing life and ministry with Steve still. Steve's praying for me these days and he's praying for you. And then so thrilled that Ashley got this job. I don't know when we first met, but the one thing I remember was a national board meeting in Charlotte, and Ashley got the, I don't know if you missed the meeting that day or what, but you, you were giving the club talk for the national board. Now, there's no pressure there, right? <laughs> club talk for the national board. And, and she was incredible. I thought, okay, she's got gifts that Jim Mike needs to acknowledge. I'm glad that they have. So we said yes because of the people. Because uh, you, who we've had history with, and so many of you I don't know, uh, but because of uh, the future of young life in your hands, uh, we're grateful to be here. So the next question becomes, what do you say? I'm going to stand here for tonight, this afternoon, and tomorrow, and so what do you say? What do you have to say? You ever have that feeling? I don't think I have anything to say. Uh, what if I stand up there and, uh, and really fail miserably? In my heart as I'm having this... Uh, inner turmoil, uh, to be honest, I'm hoping and praying I come up with something that's amazing. So you'll think I'm amazing. And I'll be the best speaker you've ever heard. It's my ego and my pride and insecurities all battling. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, uh, but that's there for me. Sometimes you get humble. I did a funeral for my aunt several years ago, and at the end of the funeral, my mom's sister, I did my best to honor her and honor the Lord at the funeral, and when it was over, you're relieved, and I thought, okay, I think I, I think I did as well as I could do. My mom comes up, she hugs me, she's in tears, and she's, she looks at me right in the eye, and she goes, you just keep ceasing to amaze me. I don't think you said that right. <laughs> so maybe I'll cease to amaze you in these two days. Uh, but I hope beyond that that somehow God speaks to you. And I'm excited about what he's put on my heart to share. 
And I've decided we're going to look at the two of the four resurrection appearances of Jesus at the end of the Gospel of John. The first and the last. And I hope somewhere in here, uh, God would speak to you. It wouldn't just be, yeah, that was nice. Uh, if you're expecting a message with three points and a nice illustration and a wrap-up thing at the end, uh, you'll be disappointed. What I'd like to do is, and maybe this would be better for you anyway, because you've had two days of silence. It seems a little bit cruel that after one hour of being able to speak, that make you sit and listen again. So uh, I'd love for you to participate with me. I'd like to invite you to my Sunday school class and have us walk through a passage together, and I want this to be interactive. Uh, so would you uh, join me? It won't work if you're not, uh, if you're passive. It'll work if you're active with me. Which means when I ask the question, it'd be great if you'd answer. Uh, and have you do that in a civil way, raise your hands, speak up, uh, whatever. But uh, can I pray for us? And then I want to give out some scriptures for you to read in just a minute. Let me pray for us. I thank you for this uh, place, this holy place. Privilege for us to be back. Lord, for all the times you have shown up here in this room. And your spirit has stirred and wooed and reached the farthest out and reached the closest end. And Spirit of God, would you do that again? Just like you showed up after the cross, would you show up again here? Wake us up, stir us. Whatever has kept us from seeing you, would you take it out of the way? Give us eyes to see and hearts to hear. Pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. In a minute, I need someone to volunteer who can stand and read loudly. Uh, John 20, 1 through 9. Who would do that? Thank you. Uh, John 20, 10 through 13. Who would do that? Thank you. Uh, John 20, 14 and 15. Once, twice. Thank you. Great. And would you take uh, John 20, 16 through 18? And I think that's it. I missed something. We'll do it on the go. Four appearances of Jesus at the end of the Gospel of John. And so we're going to look at the first this afternoon. We're going to look at the last tomorrow. In between, at the beginning of tomorrow's message, I'm going to talk about what I love most about young life. But then we'll end by this last appearance of Jesus. So... Listen to the first that John records about the appearance of Jesus uh, after the cross. John 21 through 9. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb of her while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also came, and he saw and believed. For as yet he did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. 
Thank you. You may be wondering, why didn't I pick a Christmas passage? I mentioned Joseph. It would have been easy to do that. I was going to. I was going to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, my favorite Christmas passage. You should spend some time looking at it. But somehow this is where I ended up. And what I realized is if the resurrection isn't true, Christmas is a hopeless hoax. If the resurrection isn't true, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that we're of all people to be pitied. But if it's true, if Jesus has risen from the dead, that changes everything. That's what happened 46 years ago when I sat on the side of that hill. It's like the risen Christ that came and somehow raised me from the dead. If it's true, then it means whatever you bring to Jesus is nothing. I mean, you think about it. Here's any time in the past year when you've gone, I don't know what to do. We don't have enough leaders. And God goes, gosh, I don't know what to do about that. I, 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 I overcame death, but I can't help you with leaders. <laughs> I don't have enough money in our area, or, or it's hard to do young life during COVID. Do we wear masks and not wear masks? Do we have to put inside, outside? What do we do? I don't, I don't know what to do. And the Lord goes, gosh, I can't help you. I can raise the dead, but I can't handle that. No, nothing is too big. The same power that raised you from the dead is also in you, Romans 6 says. So, the first at the tomb in John 20, who is it? Mary. Mary Magdalene. Who is she, by the way? What do we know about Mary Magdalene? She what? Lazarus' sister. There's a Mary there. Uh, some think it's the same person. Some think it's a different Mary. What else might you know about Mary Magdalene? She's what? Former prostitute. Former prostitute. Luke uh, 8 says she had seven demons in her. If she has seven demons in her, can you just tell me, what do you think her life was like? Just give me some descriptive words about her life. Chaos. Chaos? What's that? Dark. Dark? What else? Miserable. Miserable. Lonely? Hopeless. 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 She's confused, tormented. She's crazy. She's self-destructive. What about her relationships? What have happened to them? They've been destroyed. Think of other people demon-possessed in the scriptures. The demon, the uh, Gerasene demoniac in Mark 5. He runs through the hills day and night, screaming and cutting himself. Self-destructive, relationships gone, destroyed. Uh, one of the men that we uh, have the privilege uh, to be in a relationship with back home. Again, I work with Serge, like Ashley said, it's, I need to do what you do with older people. And I'm sitting with guys who are in their 30s and 40s, and I promise if I close my eyes, they sound like high school kids. <laughs> Talking about how messed up their life is. It's being recorded, by the way. Yeah. It is? Yeah. Okay. So a guy back home named Roy, <laughs> uh, not real name, uh, two guys I know that have been with me uh, in some kind of discipleship things and leadership development things and helping them think about how to share their faith. They're 35-year-olds. Their life's going great. They've got a great job, great wife, great kids. But their faith is kind of flat. And over the last couple of years, they've been going to have a heart for lost people around them. So Jeff and Jake uh, met a guy named Roy uh, playing golf 
and Roy's life's a train wreck. He hasn't been to church in 20 years. He uh, has addiction problems. He's having affairs, had multiple affairs. He just told his wife about the recent one and told her he's not going to stop. So she kicked him out of the house. No duh. And he, his life's a wreck. And he told uh, my friends Jeff and Jake, I hear voices. He's tormented. I don't know if those are demons. His life is on a self-destruct course. We've also watched, uh, because of the way these two guys have entered his life, like you entered the lives of kids, a church the last couple months with his wife. They sit together. They're not living together, but they come to church together. They come to our science class. And light bulbs are coming on. Why is she there on that morning? She's the first one there. Why is she showing up? Okay, she's going to anoint the body of Jesus. It's what's expected. It, it's the ritual. It's what you do if you have a loved one who passes away. You go and anoint the body. And she's just doing what she thinks God wants her to do. She's just trying to do her service for Jesus. She's just trying to be faithful, to be obedient. She just wants to do what she knows to do. Okay? All she knows to do. What's the problem? He's not there. Jesus isn't where he's supposed to be. He's not where she expected him to be. She just wanted to go and find Jesus there and do her service and do her job and walk away and then she'd go, I've done it. I've been obedient and faithful. What do you do when you're trying to do what God's called you to do but it feels like Jesus isn't there? Say more about that in a minute. Her conclusion, by the way, is what? Someone took the body. So she runs and tells Peter and John. It's one of those little comical sections of Scripture where John, the author, who never calls himself by name throughout the Gospel of John, by the way, he always says the disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, wouldn't it be great if we saw ourselves that way? But he, he says, uh, she went and told Peter and the disciples of Jesus love, and they raced to the tomb. And, and John just wants to make sure everybody knows, no, oh, by the way, I'm faster than Peter. I got there first. I, I, in the 40-yard dash, I can smoke it. You know? Only God will do that. So they get there first. He waits. Peter goes in first. Uh, it's empty. And what does it say their conclusion is? In verse 9. They see and what? They see and believe. But then this strange thought right after it, but they still don't understand. You ever believe but don't understand? You think I'm full of faith and belief, but I don't get this. I do not understand. Do you believe that God's sovereign? They could get to understand. Do you believe that God is at work? in the seen and the unseen, but don't understand? Do you believe God called you to do your life in the last 18 months, but don't understand? Do you believe God saves and heals, but don't understand? For the past 18 months, how often have you go, I believe, but I don't understand, Lord. It's like the dad in Mark 9, whose boy was self-destructive also. 
And he says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Aren't you glad uh, we have a God who allows uh, belief and unbelief to coexist? If not, I'm in big trouble. So they believe, but they don't understand. And then listen to Mary's response. In John 20, 10 through 13. The disciples went back again to their homes. But Mary stood just outside the tomb, and she was crying. And as she cried, she looked into the tomb and saw the angels in white, who sat one at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had lain. The angel spoke to her, Why are you crying? They asked. Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him, she said. The disciples. Peter and John go back home, where does Mary go? Back to the tomb. Maybe she didn't have anybody to go home to. And she didn't know where else to go. What does she do when she gets to the tomb? What is she doing? In verse 11. She's weeping. She's crying at the tomb alone, and then she looks into the tomb, and what does she see? Two angels. Hey, don't miss this. Who were they sent for? Who are the angels there for? Mary. They weren't sent for John or Peter. They're sent for Mary. I don't know how they decide when angels get to go, but I'm guessing whoever is the, you know, the air traffic controller in heaven, they say, hey, we're going to send two angels. That's going to be awesome. Who are you going to send them to? Mary. I'm like, what? Mary? Two angels there for Mary. Why doesn't she recognize them? Again, what's she doing at the tomb? She's weeping. She's alone. Grief and sadness and isolation blind us to the miraculous, even when it's right before us. She has two angels right in front of her. She doesn't get that they're angels because she's overcome by grief. And what do they ask her in verse 13? Woman, why are you crying? I don't know about you, but I found that to be a very dangerous question to ask a woman when she's crying. <laughs> why are you crying? There are times Carol's crying, it's like, I know I'm supposed to know why, but I don't know why. I don't know. I want to know why, because I'm pretty sure it's me. Well, why are you crying? And what does her answer reveal? She has no hope that Jesus is alive. There's nothing that she's remembering. And he said after three days, I'd That's cool. She just says, someone has taken my Lord. I just want him to be where he's supposed to be. I just want to do what I'm supposed to do. The past 18 months, how often have you felt uh, the very same? I'm showing up. I'm doing what God called me to do, but I don't think Jesus is here. I'm trying to serve God and I'm trying to serve Him through Young Life where we do things, the five C's, the ten C's, how many C's you have now. Um, but I'm doing it all and it feels like Jesus is just absent. And I'm just going through the motions. And some of you are like, you've already checked out. Like, you just, you just, I'm just going to 
go through the motions for a while. I have no expectation Jesus is going to show up. You showed up this few days because you had to. I just, I'm just waiting until I can leave here. I'm just going to go home and I'm just going to try to flip off all the switches. I'm thinking that's what she's doing. She's just showing up. She just wants him to be where he's supposed to be, and I don't know why he's not here. Just let me do what I'm supposed to do. What do you do when Jesus isn't where he's supposed to be? What do you do when your life isn't working? Now watch what happens next, John 20, 14 and 15. <clears throat> she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was a gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put it, and I will go and get it. As if two angels aren't enough, Jesus decides to show up himself. All for Mary. Again, in the strategy session in heaven, when they decided, okay, after you come back from the dead, you're going to appear to first. Mary would not have made the list of the top 100. Mary. I'm going to go appear to Mary. Are you kidding me? In this culture, women had no value. They were property. They couldn't, you couldn't testify in court as a woman. So they're going to choose Mary? To show up to first? It'd be like the NFL draft. Uh, 2021 NFL draft, you remember it's in April. Roger Goodell comes out and says the Jacksonville Jaguars are the number one pick of the 2021 NFL draft have selected. You know who it was? Trevor Lawrence, of course you know. Imagine he'd have come out and Roger Goodell said, with well, the number one pick of the NFL draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars have chosen, have chosen Bambi Jones. What? Who? The crazy lady down on the corner. Who's she has a sordid life. I think she's a hooker. Uh, she talks to herself all the time. She's a mess. That's our number one pick, Bambi Jones. That's what it would be like. Go Mary. I'm going to go see Mary. Number one pick. And Jesus says to her, why are you crying? But adds, who are you looking for? Mary, who are you looking for? And what's her response? Just tell me, please. She thinks he's a gardener, relative of Steve and Neil. <laughs> oh, look, yeah. Sorry, I missed that one. She doesn't recognize him again because grief and loss blind us from seeing Jesus. Even when he's right there. If you took him, just tell me so I can go get him. She's just determined to do her job. And a lot of you for 18 months have had incredible determination to do your job. And you have worked hard, maybe harder than you ever thought you would. And I'm wondering how many times you thought, I just want to see, let's put Jesus back where he's supposed to be. And what changes everything for Mary, uh, John 20, 16 through 18. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus says one word, and what's the word he says? Mary. Mary. There's something about our names. That's what you do with kids all the time. You just call them by name, and he calls Mary by name. And what happens when he, when he said Mary? She recognized him. In a minute, the, in a second, the risen Christ became personal and intimate. Hey, when the risen Jesus is reduced to a club talk, our creed we quote, our theology we defend, or an Easter service, or somebody else's story, then we're left with distance and doubts and questions. We shared his name immediately. It wasn't somebody else's story, it was hers. And so what does Mary do next? It's the opposite of social distancing. She can't help herself. She just clings to Jesus. She's holding on as tight as she ever has before. Have you ever had a hug that was awkward? Because they keep hugging when you stop. You ever had one of those? You know, you're hugging and then you stop and you think, oh, they're still hugging. You're like, hug back, I stop. So I'm thinking it was that, which is this awkward moment when she says she won't let go, and Jesus finally has to says, please don't cling to me. I've not yet gone to the Father. This awkward moment, like, what's going on there? Some have said, possible explanations, that Jesus was too holy and couldn't be touched. That makes no sense, because he went to Thomas and said, hey, put your hand right here. Actually, literally said, bring your finger over here and put it in these holes. Well, that's not it. Some have said the words can be mistranslated and it doesn't mean don't touch me. It means don't be afraid. Nice if it meant that. Why wouldn't they say that clearly? <laughs> Maybe it means uh, there's more to do than just hold me. The first one to come and see is all the first, also the first one to go and tell. Maybe there's more to do than just hold on to Jesus. Maybe it's not just about us and Jesus. There's a mission. You know that. Maybe it's because the relationship with Jesus is now more than physical. It's become spiritual. He hasn't gone to the Father. Let me go to the Father because what I said in John 14 through 16 is true. I'm going away, but you should, you should be glad. Because what's coming after me, the Father's going to send the comfort of the Holy Spirit who will be with you forever. It's going to be better than what you've had with me physically. It's the promise I'm never going to leave you, never going to forsake you, always with you. Time and distance don't make any, dip, any difference anymore. And it's better now because I'll be with you in spirit, in you and with you, and never leave you. Nothing can snatch you out of my hand. And then her mission and her assignment, what is it in verse 17? Go tell the disciples. And what does she do? She goes and tells. And what's the message that she gives them? I've seen the Lord. It doesn't matter how great a communicator you are. I know in young life we elevate speaking to an unhealthy place. If you're a great speaker, you can go far in young life. But your great, greatest message is this. I've seen the Lord. 
That's it. You can wax eloquent all day long. You can wow people with illustrations. You, you can be the best orator in the world. But unless you can say, I have seen the Lord, and that's a recent, fresh experience, you have nothing to say. John 9, the blind man, remember they asked him a bunch of questions, some theological questions. He says, I don't know. All I can tell you is this, I was blind, but now I see. And no one can stand up and go, you're a liar. It's not true, because you can get up, 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 up and walk out without bumping in the walls. I have seen the Lord. And who is your audience to tell that to, by the way? The disciples. Go tell the disciples. Go tell your family to faith. What if in our racing out to tell kids about Jesus, we're racing right past the people that need to hear that message most? What if our own families are the ones that need to know, I've seen the Lord. When's the last time you stopped on your way to contact work and said, hey, before I go, i got to tell you. God spoke to me this morning. I've seen the Lord. Jesus showed up. I've been praying. Here's what happened. What if you had that conversation with your spouse or with your children or with your extended family? What if those are the people that God's saying? Tell them first before you go tell everybody else. Maybe that's the reason so many preacher's kids end up being the kids we end up praying for that they would come to know Jesus. I don't want anybody to say that about my kids or your kids. But she tells her family of faith first. Hey, finally, some questions to consider. This might be this evening, it might be while you're here, maybe in a conversation with other people. Maybe when you get home and have some time to just sit and think and reflect over the next couple of weeks, there's some questions to consider, and then uh, I'll pray for us and we'll be done. Number one, what's been taken from you the past 18 months? What have you lost? What are you grieving? What's been taken from you the past 18 months? Number two, what's making it hard for you to see Jesus lately? What's making it hard for you to see Jesus lately? Number three, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? Now and in the year ahead. What kind of Jesus are you looking for? Are you looking for one who will just let you do your service and do your duty and do young life and check the box as expected? Are you looking for one that's unpredictable? And doesn't show up where you're supposed to. It doesn't stay where you put him. It always seems to be working outside the place. And by the way, if you're grieving, if you felt like you cried alone a lot the last 18 months, if you've been disappointed in Jesus, you're in really good company. There's a song, I don't know if we'll sing it, uh, it's okay if we don't, uh, but it says, uh, you're never going to let, never going to let me, you know how it goes? Never going to let me what? Down, never going to let me down. I don't think that's true. If you walk with Jesus very long at all, He will let you down. There'll be things that you'll just go, I, I don't understand. I am disappointed in Jesus. I would change the words of the song to be, uh, You're never going to let, never going to let me go. He'll let you down, but He won't let you go. I'm leaving your life two plus years ago, maybe the second or third hardest thing I've ever been through. I now see God's love for me and what he's done in my life through it and because of it. 
But I, what I've realized is God loves me enough to disrupt my life. So I will trust Him. And I'm grateful that He does. And I think in the last 18 months, your lives have been severely disrupted. Because you have a God who wants you to look for Him. And hear Him call you. Let me pray for us and then actually we'll be back up. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have risen, that you're alive. That's not just a message for those out there, but that's a message for us in here. And forgive me for thinking it's for somebody else. And forgive me for racing past my family, for thinking that my time with you is to prepare me to go tell somebody else, and you keep trying to get my attention. Thank you for the way you have disrupted my life. Thank you for proof that you love me, and I pray that my friends here would know the same. That you love them, and you're a jealous God, and you want all of them and more of them. And they would hear your voice, and they would cling to you tighter than ever. I pray that in Christ. What a great gift to the mission John Vickery is. If you enjoyed this, John Vickery also spoke at our Leader Committee Weekend. We have those recorded a few episodes down. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Midlands Young Life Podcast.